Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the Trade and Globalization Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a Senior Fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. In this episode, we are going to catch up with two Trade Talks guests. We spoke to them about a year ago. Uh, In March of 2020, we spoke to Chris Rogers, Supply Chain Analyst at S&P Global Pangeva. And in April, we spoke to Audrey Ross of Orchard Custom Beauty. We wanted to hear about what they've been seeing a year on, a year after that worst disruption. And you'll remember from our episode on on shipping last October that logistics was a bit crazy long after the pandemic first hit. And it turns out things are still going crazy. So we asked how all that craziness was affecting trade out there in the real world right now. We started by asking Chris about what happened to the surge in demand for stuff that was causing such headaches for logistics managers last autumn. The demand surge has gone absolutely nowhere. In fact, it's gotten surgier, if that's a word, but it is now. What's basically happened was uh, during the latter part of last year, uh, you had a a huge uh, wave of consumer demand for, you know, chairs to sit on when you're working at home and a new sofa. And as you had the original stimulus checks come in in the US and in other countries, that drove a wave of spending. Um, And of course, people are spending on stuff, not going out. So, you know, that that demand has to be has to be met. And one of the interesting things is that a lot of that demand has been in consumer durables and frankly put big stuff, you know, furniture, bigger TVs, all these kind of things. So like the the dollar per container value is kind of lower. So the number of containers going in has been going up by, you know, double digit amounts, even though the kind of global trade numbers haven't gone up by that much. So To a certain extent, there's a volumetric issue, which I think tripped people up. But we've just run numbers for February uh, on US imports, and they're still up by 20% year over year and versus 2019. So it's not the beginning of the year, can we work out when the Lunar New Year holiday was? This is real ongoing demand. Um, And I think a lot of it is also working through congestion as well. So there's a couple of different drivers there. Just to explain some of that, because people were buying bigger stuff, there's a bigger increase in the number of containers than in the the actual value of trade. Also, normally trade around the beginning of the year is is distorted by the, the timing of the Chinese New Year. But that doesn't seem to be driving the increases in U.S. imports that we're seeing right now. Some of it is just because the ports have been super congested during the last few months. And so while, while around this time of year, normally things might might be a little bit slower, everyone is still working full-time today to get that congestion out of the system. We asked Audrey about what she had been seeing. How quickly did it take to realize, oh, oh dear, actually people are buying a bunch of stuff and we need to trade, trade, trade? I think from from getting back up and running, it took us about, it was pretty quick considering we started to realize that people were still shopping. There was still demand for goods on the shelves. And then with the kind of new virtual meeting culture and the mass culture, we started to see certain trends in products. So while we were able to kind of 
make some pivots, you know, into things like hand sanitizer. Um, we were also making pivots into self-care items like hair masks and skincare. But that, it really happened fast because once we kind of connected that people were still shopping, it just became what can you turn around and how fast can you turn it around? Um, we saw a lot of reorders on established products because those are faster to turn around, you know, and, and maybe less sort of a buy on innovative products until later in the year. So it took a few months to get up and running, but I would say by September, October, we really had um, a lot of goods coming into the market. As we've had this surging demand, the capacity of the global trading system to supply it all has struggled to keep up. And that has meant that moving stuff has become a lot more expensive. So what happened was when we started to see these big goods increases and, and people buying and people shopping online, we started to see that. And we also started to see, because of COVID, getting warehouse space or starting a new construction or buying up space became difficult. You can kind of use containers to store your goods. So we started seeing importers. So, you know, for example, into Canada and the U.S., they bring in a container and then you know, their warehouse would be full or they'd be busy. And so they'd let the container sit um, and kind of use it as this replacement storage. And that meant that it was taking it longer to get back into the, the flow. And then it meant that for exports, exports were waiting on containers because they had, you know, things like agriculture goods are sitting there waiting to go out to be exported to other places. So that sort of started to, to make a weird shortage of the equipment. And then with you know, the you kind of had carriers having to focus on primary markets. So any market that was sort of, you know, they take goods, but it's not our hot market. So anything that was coming to, into LA got prioritized. So boats would be put, extra boats on that route. More equipment is diverted to, to fill markets like, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Rotterdam into Europe, hum, Hamburg into Europe. Um, and so other markets were kind of losing out. And it's just become a compounding problem where you see the viruses affecting people's staffing and ability to turn over their product. It's affecting the ports and their ability to offload. And then this container shortage is affecting the ability for the boat to be loaded to go back and forth. Um, so we're just kind of seeing this increasing bottleneck situation. Um, you know, I mean, it's especially noticeable at LA, but um, you can see it in other places too. And that then drives costs. So a container, which used to be, I don't know, what do we used to pay into LA? Like two or three thousand dollars per container is now a six thousand to seven thousand dollar container, and other markets are way worse. I've seen in Rotterdam, it's nine thousand dollars a container, and then they started with Brexit, um, which is a whole separate issue. <laughs> they started charging sort of a UK premium. So if you wanted to go into the UK, not only are you dealing with the fact that there's just a global market bottleneck on equipment and boats, but you're also seeing inconveniences due to the change in status from Brexit. And so carriers just deciding, we're just going to put a premium charge on the UK. So I saw 11500 going into the UK for a container that last year would have been like $3,000, $4,000 at most. It's just been a massive issue. It's just the prices are crazy. This seems to be a general phenomenon. So um, give you a number, um, around about the beginning of March, the average global cost for shipping a container, so this is a 40-foot long container, uh, hit around $4,600. On June the 1st, it was just over $1,000. 
on top of that, depending on where you're shipping to and from, it can be a lot higher. So if you're shipping from Asia to Europe, it's nearer $10,000. And that doesn't include surcharges. The shipping companies have been great at going, it's a bit like when you get work done on your house and they'll go, well, you know, we can fix the windows, but ooh, we'll have to do the wiring while we're there. It's like, well, we'll ship your container and that's going to be $4,500, but the container is going to have to sit on the dock side for a while as well. So that's an extra $500. And we're short of the truck chassis to put it on. So that'll be another couple of hundred dollars. And as a consequence of which, these, these costs mount up, you know, really quickly. So yeah, you know, basic rates gone up about four or five fold. Yeah. Now you might ask, why can't you just build more capacity? Just build some more boats, make some more containers easy. But a few things to know. So first of all, it can take two or three years to build a boat. Um, and you might worry that the surge in demand is only temporary and, and pandemic related. And so if you build a ton of new capacity, you're going to end up with a bunch of empty boats um, in a few months or, or years. Chris said that actually only now are you starting to see orders for new boats because because people were worried about that. And they'll be ready in 2023 or, or 2024. The other constraint is that when the pandemic first hit, the places in China that actually made the containers shut down. So that obviously did not help um, in terms of providing enough equipment, given the surge in demand that we then had. Even with all these supply constraints, Chris said that prices were so high, they had attracted the attention of regulators. We asked exactly what the regulators were worried about. basically two types of regulatory concern. The one that the US Federal Maritime Commission is looking at is to say explicitly, have the container lines been rushing empty containers back to Asia to pick up more stuff rather than leaving those containers so that American exporters can you know, get their stuff out of the door? The other sort of regulatory concern which has been expressed in the EU, in India, in Vietnam and in China and in South Korea is... Why are these things costing so much? This is hurting our exporters. You know, we don't understand why prices have shot up. And at the end of the day, the beauty of containers is that they're a commodity. The bad news is they're a commodity with a relatively fixed supply. So the price is going to to shoot up. Um, In the case of the, you know, we don't understand why the prices are high. Once prices come down, I think there'll be fewer concerns. In the case of uh, the FMC review of export practices, that raises a bigger issue about the way in which shipping companies carry out their business. And one of the issues there is they have these big alliances. So effectively, there's about a dozen big shipping firms, but they work together in three shipping alliances. And they've got an exemption from competition rules for that. And you've got to think, well, the FMC or the EU find that there's some shenanigans being going on, then those business practices might need to be reviewed. So the concern here is that the shipping lines might be colluding to, to keep prices high? That's the theory. Yeah, that, that's the theory is that there's, there's, they're allowed to coordinate their shipping routes because that makes sense. And actually, in a world where we want to be green, what you don't want is any more boats than you need steaming around. Um, but, you know, are they, you know, is the price converging because it's a commodity or is the price converging because it's being made to converge? And this is something that the EU reviewed a couple of years ago and 10 years before that. And, you know, obviously when prices fall, nobody cares. When prices rise, they care. If the costs of shipping are going up, 
then the question is, who is bearing that cost? Is it the consumers or the companies helping to operate these supply chains, having to eat it by lowering their profits? We asked Audrey what she was seeing. At the moment, the shipper is bearing the cost. Now, the shipper can be a variety of parties. Um, in our case, we sell business to business, so and we sell our goods by delivering to that customer so that we deliver right to the retailer's door. So that would mean that we're responsible for arranging the freight and the costs. So if they change, that's sort of on us. We've seen other um, entities who do a similar business model start to send letters to their customers and say, due to these, you know, these global market conditions completely out of our control, we're going to add X amount of, you know, we're going to add two cents per unit to your price to help balance out these unexpected increases. And other companies are sort of going back and forth and and trying to, to mitigate that. It is a challenge for people in our industry because you do produce a product so far in advance. So when I'm shipping something in January, it was ordered last August, right? So you don't know that in January, the shipping costs are going to be crazy. You can sort of estimate sometimes there's a, a rough patch for Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year, but not to this extent. So I might include um, to my product developers a container price. You know, I wouldn't use a market rate. I would use maybe a slightly inflated price to say, okay, well, in three months, this might change. Um, so I'll, I'll say add an extra $200 just in case. But this is the year where, you know, we went from, it's not a $200 increase, it's a $4,000 increase. You just, you couldn't anticipate things like that. So now that we're in it, um, and we're seeing these higher costs, I have to go to my team now and speculate, how long is this going to last? Is this going to last into May and June? In which case, you know what, we might just have to absorb some of these costs, see if we can push them onto some of our customers. But basically, we've committed to, a, to an order already. Now, what have we done moving forward? So anything that you're quoting, July, August, September, October, you're going to have to have increased costs built in, or we're going to have to, you know, adjust our margin because we're sort of losing money. So I think everybody has a different strategy for how they're dealing with it. But essentially, if you were the person responsible for delivering the goods and, and arranging the transportation, you're stuck with those costs and you're just trying to figure it out. Chris has been looking at this from a, from a broader perspective, looking at companies' earnings calls to see if there are any signs of what companies more generally are, are doing. So to throw a few numbers around, when, when we take the, the increase in the shipping rates and the increase in the number of containers, we, we published some numbers very recently that said, OK, the, the year over year, the cost of shipping into the United States has increased by $3 billion a month this year versus last year. So in February, if you multiply them together, there's around $5.2 billion worth of costs to ship into the United States by sea versus just under $2 billion a year earlier. And it, that that increase obviously has to go somewhere. Um, we've actually seen, um, we we review what companies are saying in their, in their earnings calls. And um, around a quarter of companies are talking about freight um, that's the in in the past couple of months that's the highest ratio we've seen for um, a very long time in fact as far back as our data goes so around seven or eight years um, that's still not a huge number compared to the number that we're talking about tariffs at their peak that got up to about 30 percent but the fact that you've got a lot of mainstream companies talking about freight costs is is really notable but what is also notable is companies aren't yet talking about what they do with those costs. Do they just suck it up and take it through 
the P&L, which, you know, if you believe that it's a temporary effect, you may well do that. And if you think your competitors aren't going to, then you'll you'll just suck it up. The alternative is you put it through into to customer price increases. Now, $3 billion extra costs a month is a, a big number. Um, but in the context of the entire US economy and everything that's being sold there, is that necessarily going to move the needle? Maybe not. You won't necessarily see that in consumer price index numbers. However, you've also got all of those other costs are, are going up as well. So we put together a basket of you know, a handful of uh, energy metals and industrial commodities. Um, and you know, they, they've increased by about a fifth in the first quarter of this year compared to the fourth quarter of last year. So those costs are there as well. So you've got to wonder whether companies will start to say, particularly manufacturing companies will say, right, we've got higher freight costs, we've got higher steel costs, we've got higher semiconductor costs, we've got higher plastic costs. We've got interruptions to our supply chains caused by storms in Texas. Let's just bite the bullet and start putting prices up. Um, does that mean you know, the consumer price in- index goes up by 1%, 2%? I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a macroeconomist. But I'm seeing a lot of companies talking about costs in their supply chain in much more explicit ways than they have really since the, the height of the, the trade war back in, in late 2018. We asked Chris when he thought all this was going to end. When's it all going to end? It, it's not going to end, I think, much before the end of the first half of, of this year. So you know, certainly before the end of June. Um, that's a relatively easy bet to make because that's what the container lines have been saying. And, and their points are effectively, look, we're not going to see mass moves out of lockdowns um, and people return to spending their money on leisure you know, in the first half of this year. There's enough uh, congestion built up that it's going to take a couple months to unwind that congestion. So that's going to be an issue as well. Um, a whole bunch of stimulus checks coming in in the United States. People may save it. They might use it to book their holiday, but they may well use it to carry on spending. So the demand for the retailers is there. At the same time, we're beginning to see retailers say, gee, we got caught out by this um, uh, spike last year and the spike in rates. They're negotiating their um, annual shipping contract rates at the moment. And part of the deal is we'll give you a fixed price and maybe a lower price, but you need to spread your shipping out throughout the year rather than just doing a big spike at once. So I think we're going to see this congestion issue continue through the first half. I wouldn't necessarily count on you know, returning to a bust in the shipping industry in the second half of the year. We, we could well see a change in shipping practices um, that, frankly, put has been long overdue. One last question from me. Last time we spoke to Audrey last April, it was at this moment where people were really questioning their reliance on on China's supply chains. Now, obviously, we should be careful about extrapolating from just one example, but I was interested to see how these concerns had evolved. How was that concern about China showing up today? I think this was a conversation that was started with sort of prompted by tariffs. And then the pandemic has exacerbated the fact that when we saw them close and do that extended Chinese New Year close, um, you know, yes, people started to kind of panic because you had the majority of your stuff there, even though you'd started to consider moving it to other places because of the sheer cost of the tariffs or the sheer inconvenience of of trying to work around these tariffs. Um, But the reality is, you know, we tried 
I'll get an example for us as we tried to look at doing some cut and sew items in Cambodia. And this was early on in the pandemic and they get all their raw materials from China. So (laughs) even if we wanted to make, you know, this, this shift, you know, you had to go, once you got to the sort of, you go back three steps in the production process, it's like, oh, but you get all your stuff from there too. And so I think the last year, there's been a growing move to have more transparency in your supply chain, but that really meant understanding where every single piece was coming from and going back and finding out that it's like, oh, well, this product takes, you know, 20, what do you, what do you all call them? Widgets, 20 widgets to kind of put together. And it's like 18 of them are coming from China. Well, now what do I do? And can you, I mean, you as an individual company, it's really hard to make the infrastructure investments or the changes to another country that have been made in China. China really aggressively built itself as a manufacturing hub and other countries didn't make those investments. And so then now how do you nearshore into America or into Canada where people don't even have the skills to make some of these products or they don't want to have those skills or have that type of job? So it's it's been a challenge on an individual level for us to work in sort of shifting out our supply chain. But I think we were more lucky because we do do at least some of the finishing and other parts of our business in different countries. This speaks to the practical challenges of moving away from from the world's manufacturing hub. Even with these two massive shocks, supply chains can be really, really hard to budge. And don't forget, a lot of suppliers are also there to sell into the Chinese market. And when China was basically the only country to grow at all in 2020, it's not so easy to give that up. And that is all the trade talks. A huge thanks to Audrey Ross of Orchard Custom Beauty and Chris Rogers of S&P Global Panjiva. And as always, thanks to Colin Warren, our audio guy. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks.